Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Mark chapter 8, I hope you're there. Who would Jesus be if Jesus was you? Because we don't need to be Jesus anymore. We don't need to die on a cross. He's done that. That's done. We don't need to walk around. Uh, the fulfilment of your calling is not to walk through the sand of uh, first century Palestine and um, do what Jesus did. We're called to be like Christ now. So what would Christ be like if Christ was you? And uh, this has just been echoing in my head. It has been for 15 plus years. But just recently, how do you, how do you take a group of God's people um, because I know, as I, as I talk, I know your heart is to go deeper. Your heart is to know more freedom. Your heart is to be more powerful, is to be on mission. And, uh, and so how do we grapple with this? Uh, because every voice out there is saying the opposite. Um, because our, the voices that we're hearing buzzing around our head, um, if you look at the raw statistics of what's happening socially, politically, there, there's a, a right-wing voice, there's a left-wing voice that represents 6 to 8% of the population on each wing, but those people have the voice. If you've noticed that in the media, in politics, in, uh, globally, um, and there's this racket going on, these voices are going on, but in the middle of that is, is what they're now calling the exhausted middle. Exhausted. That's predominantly us. We're tired of the voices, we're tired of popularism, we're, we're tired of, of uh, highly polarised politics, we're, we're looking at global problems and we're seeing nations close their borders and, and try and find local solutions. We're tired of this and our, and our hearts are weary and it's almost like we're back where Jesus came, who's tired, who's weary? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And so more and more, I just want to keep digging through the scriptures and look at what that could look like in our life. Because I don't want to just play church. I don't want to just come together on Sunday and, well, that's, that box checked. What, what happens in your heart matters. What you do with your life deeply matters. And the world is being deconstructed right now. It has been for 10 or 15 years. But what they don't understand mostly is that after that phase happens, there's a reconstruction process happens. And if there's a lack of leadership, if there's a lack of clarity and integrity... If there's a lack of an authority that people can trust, something else rises up. And the moral compass for our society needs to rise again, and there's a true north that needs to come back. And so now is the time, while the world's still busy doing this, we should be doing this. We should be reforming. We should be renewing. And our hearts should be going deeper and broader and reaching out wider. And so my heart is just echoing around this sort of stuff. And so for me, the answers all lie in the scriptures. The answers lie in what Jesus did and what he said because he did exactly the same thing and the culture that he was in was going through the same process. So if you open up your word to uh, Mark chapter 8, I want to dive in there. And I'm just probably going to hover in the gospel of Mark and maybe other gospels for just a little while. It's not a sermon series. I just want to respond and just let the word of God speak into our life. Now, now and again, Jesus, amongst the voices that were buzzing around him, because he didn't have social media or Instagram, he didn't have um, politics via tweet and all that kind of stuff. It was, but, it was a, but it was a world that was chaotic. It was, uh, there was his own government that was happening in, in locally with Herod and so. There was, there was the, the religious system, there was uh, the Romans, uh, and then there was the Amharets, the people of the land. And they all had these voices were screaming out. And now and again, he would remind them of exactly who he was. 
in Scripture, it's almost like he didn't say it very often, but when he said it, it was like, listen up, voices, be still, listen up about who I am. And uh, what we find is the same is in our life, that we need to take those moments too and tell the world exactly who we are. But if we don't know who we are, then we find it really hard to do that because the world will tell us who we are if we don't tell the world. See, the world will define you by what it can see of you and it makes a judgment based on what it sees. You make a judgment of yourself based on your intent. So we judge ourselves by, we know what's going on inside of our own minds. We know we're basically, we're good people, but the world sees our, our actions and judges us by that and interprets that through their own prejudice, their own history, and what they want to see. People judge us by what they want to judge, they, and, and, and this is just the way it, work, it works out there. Um, and Jesus had the same sort of dynamic. But we assume the world sees us as we really are. But the world's looking at you through a lens, and Jesus was being looked at through a, a, a lot of lenses, a lot, lot of very powerful lenses. So people will judge you by what you put on social, what, what, what you wear, what career you've got. And we get this, degra- I call it a degraded feedback loop because they're only seeing part of you and then they see it through their lens and they feed that back to you through, through whatever judgment and it becomes a degraded loop. And so the real you never quite gets seen. So Jesus wanted to halt that process and in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, uh, he, he sort of bounces off this dynamic of what's the social opinion of who I am. So he asked his disciples, it says, who who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others still one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And you just got to love a little quote that comes after that. Jesus goes, Peter, I know you. That's way better than what you can come up with. You've had help with that. But the opinions reflected um, made sense to the people who gave them, oh, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist, you're you're whoever. Um, But in the end, when you looked at Jesus, and when we do it as well, we're looking at Jesus through the lens that we've got. So we might have, we've got a a mixed bag here, we have Pentecostal believers, we have Baptists, Catholics, ex-brethren, uniting, we're all here. Salvation Army, all great people of God, but we look at our preferred picture of who Jesus is, the Pentecostal Jesus, he's good fun, the Baptist Jesus reads C.S. Lewis. We've got, we've, you know, we've got all these versions and this is, the, this is what we read into him. Uh, he, and, and they did the same, oh, you're, you're Messiah and Messiah to them meant one who's going to overthrow Rome. You are a prophet, you're an empire killer, Jesus, that's who you are, he's a Pentecostal one, tear down stuff, you know. But to everyone he was a disappointment, I don't know whether you picked it up through scripture, Everyone was disappointed in Jesus. For the Romans, he was just another troublemaker, not another rogue out in Palestine. We've got to tear this guy down. To King Herod, and Herod always gets me as the most brazen because the prophecies came about the Messiah and he, all, his response as, God's, as the leader of God's country was to kill him and all the babies that it could have been him. Can you imagine that response? As a leader of a, what's supposed to be God's nation, he decides, I'm going to kill the Messiah. Unthinkable. But for him, it was a threat. His, the legitimacy of Jesus um, had to be inconsequential to him. He had to just divorce himself from it. From the Pharisees, he was a false prophet. He, they said Jesus was an, an imposter. The Sadducees, Jesus was a destabilizer of their temple system because the whole economy of, 
especially Jerusalem, but was run off the temple system. You, you, you challenge that thing, the whole nation crumbles. And they saw Jesus as a destabilizer. To those who just wanted the miracle to make their life a little bit more easier, um, the week of faith, he was the one who never quite gave them everything that they wanted. There was a miracle here and a miracle there, but there was so much left undone. And the point here was that no one, no one recognized Jesus for who he really was. He was a saviour, saviour for sin. He was a suffering servant. That's the way he came. The biggest problem that we all had was the sin in our life that we couldn't overcome. We couldn't get access to God through our own strength. He came to solve that issue and die in our place. He was a deconstructor of empires, a deconstructor of idols. But he reconstructed lordship. This is the key. You can't just tear down. You've got to pull it back up with something. And it didn't matter one bit to Jesus who people thought he was. He knew who he was and he knew what he was there for. But I'll tell you what, I bet Jesus didn't want to be a suffering servant. And this is what I want to get to. I don't think he was terribly happy about that. You know, I've got to go to the cross. Fantastic. This is going to hurt. But he wouldn't have liked that. I don't know whether you've thought about that. But no one wants to die painfully on a cross. Nobody wants to be misrepresented. Nobody wants to be broadly hated and misunderstood by everyone. None of us would want that. But he did that. And he was prepared to put aside the life that he would have liked, the life that he had, for that which made him live. And I want you to get that. Because we're called to be disciples, like Jesus. Prepared to put aside the life that he liked for that which made him live. See, what thrilled him was the idea of sons and daughters in eternity. That's what woke him up in the morning. That's what drove him onto the cross. Hebrews 12.2, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. And so he put aside preference for what made him really live. And we as disciples need to do the same. I talk a lot about calling. I talk a lot about where's God got you and your sweet spot in life and all that kind of stuff. And, and this message sort of speaks against that. Because every coin's got a second side. And the first step to finding your calling is not, what do I like doing? Because doing what you like sometimes stops you from doing what makes you live. And you don't know because you had never been there yet. I watched a movie the other day, and I hate to bring Hollywood too much into preaching. But there's a great movie worth a watch called uh, Race, I think it is. It's about Jesse Owens. Anyone remember Jesse Owens, 1930s? Uh, I'm getting a blank. Okay, I've got to tell you the story. Jesse Owens, think 1930s USA, highly prejudiced, highly prejudiced. He's an African-American athlete, uh, incredibly gifted, and he's put the work in. Fastest man on the planet. And um, it comes to the point where the 1936 Olympics are happening. They're happening in Berlin, the most prejudiced nation on the planet. And, and so all these voices start coming. All he wants to do is run. He just sees himself as a human being with breath in his lungs and he's only alive when he's got that 10 seconds down the track and he just wants to run and then jump because he's a great jumper as well. And that's when he's alive. That's the song he wants to sing. But when he gets to college, he's persecuted by all the white guys there and the football players and he's banged from side to side. When he, when he tries to run and before the whistle blows, he's getting abused by the crowds. He's being laughed at, spat at, the whole thing. And it starts to rattle him and he starts to lose a few races. The fastest man in the world starts to lose. And there's this incredible scene in the movie, and it's well worth a watch, where his coach is just frustrated with him. And they come into the locker room after the service, and there's just Jesse and his friend who've been just beaten around by everybody. He's lost his confidence. And his coach starts talking to him. 
And then all the NFL football players start coming in, the big white college guys. And they're going, what are you guys doing in here? You need to clear out. You can't get in the showers before we get in. And they just start spitting and abusing the guy. Then the coach of the NFL comes in and he says to the coach of Jesse, what are you doing in here? Get this guy out of here. And the scene's amazing because here's the coach just eyeballing his friend Jesse, saying, can you hear me, Jesse? Are you hearing me? Because there's all these voices behind him. And then there's his coach blasting in his coach's ear. But the, the coach, Jesse's coach, is as if it's never happened. He's just talking calm as anything. And he's saying, Jesse, can you hear me? Jesse, can you hear me? He says, you need to block out every single voice that goes against who you're called to be. The whole world is going to come against you. The pressure is going to build up. But you've got to hear your voice. You've got to respond to the voice that is you. It's only about who you are. You've got to sing your song. And it was the life-changing moment in Jesse Owen's life. Because he had his own people from, from the Black Party saying, you can't go in these Olympic Games. If you pull out, it makes a massive statement. The whites are saying, you can't go in. The Germans are saying, we don't even want this guy in the Olympics. Hitler refused to shake his hand. He said, the only voice you've got to hear is the voice you sing. Incredibly powerful moment. And the reality is for, for many of us is that the only voices we have are those voices of the world shouting at us, and they fill the vacuum that's in our heart because we don't quite know who we are and why we are and what our song is. We've never had a chance to sing it yet and, and so many people just die with the song still in them because we've been trying to live life at this surface level, even as God's people. What's my calling? As if that really matters. Let's go deeper. What's God's calling on the world? How can I be part of that song? How can my voice add to that choir? But because Jesus knew what he was to do, he could say no to everything else. Have a look at how he goes on in Mark 8.31. So he took that chance and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside, bless his heart, he was smart for a moment there and spirit of stupid took over again. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That Jesus, Peter's saying, this doesn't fit the plan. You're the Messiah. I've got the lenses on. I'm, I'm Hebrew through and through. I bleed this stuff. We've given up everything to follow you on the basis of uh, you're overthrowing Rome. And we were first in the room with you. So we want the seats to the right and left. That's assumed, Jesus. What you're saying here doesn't fit this plan. And Jesus bounces back. The way you're thinking is populist. The way you're thinking is through your lenses. The way you're thinking is shallow discipleship, Peter. You need to go deeper because what's worrying you is you're trying to wrap God over human concerns, he says. He raises this term, human concerns. So you're trying to live according to human concern and just have me come over and fix those human concerns. That's not what I came for. I came here for a much deeper thing. The fight we're fighting is a much more profound kingdom. In Luke 8.14, he talks about, in, in uh, the parable of the sower, which I'll, I'll come up to in, in weeks to come, says, it, he says that people were choked by life's worries and their riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. It's like we stay on this surfacey level because we want this populist Jesus. And these concerns have a voice. These what about my life? What about my purpose? What about my 
retirement, what about all this stuff? They have a voice and a pressure that push back. And so the harder we push against it, it's almost like the more we compress them, the harder it is to push through. And it's like doing a church survey, you know, where everyone puts in, (laughs) it's a pastor's nightmare because everyone gets their moment to say what they want. And God bless you for that. I, I, I don't even fill my own survey and I wouldn't like my own feedback, you know. But it's just suddenly you're bombarded by a thousand opinions. And, uh, and you just don't know which way to go. And it becomes, progress becomes like, are we pushing back against a barrier in life? Like, would you be prepared to sell your house and um, just use that money and, and give it to the poor and just move in with someone as charity and then just live for the gospel? No, probably not. Why? Because New Testament church looked much like that. They sold everything. Co-op time, you know. We don't do that as easily because the pressure, our social norms would say, that's, you don't do that, that's irresponsible. And the pressure comes back. So the more we try to push through with the voice that is actually truly you, this Holy Spirit, crazy, wildfire kingdom thing that wants to push through, gets, gets compressed up and so we stall and we stagnate against all the pressure of life. Now, I wonder if you've ever seen a jet break through the sound barrier. I've got a picture of one up on the screen. Uh, There it is there. This is a picture of a jet breaking through the sound barrier. And often, this is what it looks like, because when a jet gets faster and faster, in front of its nose, it builds up pressure. And as it accelerates, the pressure wants to stop it breaking through. And these are sound waves. As sound waves are getting compressed and compressed until it just goes... I can't stand no more, does the Popeye thing, and it breaks through. And this is what it looks like. It's going faster than the sound it creates can keep up. And so if you've ever seen a jet at the speed of sound come towards you, you think, I can see it, but I can't hear anything. And suddenly it goes crack over your head, and normally it's two sharp cracks. And what's happening there is that pressure wave, that, what you're seeing there is vapour, that's the air boiling behind the pressure wave because the pressure is, is hyper-intense and then hyper-nothing right behind it, and the jet breaks through. But you'd think, oh, he's just going to break through that cloud and go. But when you're in the jet, that thing stays there. It's a constant breaking of the sound barrier. We hear it as a crack, but when you're in the jet, it's just a constant breaking going on, because it's not like I break through it once and then it's all gone. It's a constant thing. And it's, it's, it's like that when you finally find your voice in God. And you go, I'm not responding to the pressures of the world now. I'm breaking, I'm putting my my nose through there. They never stop. I just get stronger. And I push through. And I can't hear that racket anymore. And I'm just pursuing what God has for me. And in a vocal and sort of individualistic Christian world, and we're we're hyper-individualistic right now, we can be stuck behind our own sound barrier. Because there are voices coming at you as well. You're too young. You're too old. You're not good looking enough. You're too extreme. You're too religious. You're too conservative. You're too radical. You're too modern. You're too whatever it is. And we stop in our tracks because we're not able to punch through that sound barrier of life. You know, most weeks I see on, online, and, and I'm online way too much for a, a guy my age, but it just comes with the job, I think. But now and again, you see some brave pastor, normally a young one or an inexperienced one, who'll put an opinion online about something doesn't matter what it is. It could be the Holy Spirit or it could be marriage. Uh, it could be anything. And, and normally when you put a view, it's a couple of sentences. You're only saying one thing. But because you're saying one thing, you're not saying everything else. And so up comes the opinion. And, I, and sometimes I, I put a comment there. 
dot, 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 wait for it. Because I know he's about to be bombarded by everyone else who's saying, if you say that, that means that can't be true. And how can you say that? Because what about the other opinion? And, and off comes this cacophony of racket. And people start shouting at each other. And the poor person who's just wanted to say something, who made the mistake of saying it publicly, um, you see them start to almost apologise. They go, oh, no, 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 I wasn't meaning that. And, and, by, you know, and they start to try and explain. You think, you poor after what's happening now. And, 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 and just cascades down to this multiple tears and comments after comments. And, and in the end, they go, I'm not doing this again. And so that, what do they say after that? Nothing. And so there is no voice because no one's game to say anything because it's, it's just going to be an explosion of opinions come in there. And so you just see these voices get stuck behind the sound barrier of life. Now, when Jesus asked, uh, who do people say that I am? He wasn't doing it because he was struggling for definition. He wasn't wanting to balance his truth and, and keep everybody happy. He wasn't interested in being popular. His goal was to deconstruct what they believed. He was, to, he was deconstructing just like we're being deconstructed now globally, economically, politically, religiously, uh, things like the clergy that were just held and revered, that's now being deconstructed. So we've got to replace that with godly leadership, godly authority, transparency, humility, all that sort of stuff. So he was beginning this process in their age as well. But we need to reconstruct as well. See, Jesus deconstructed empire and started creating kingdom. He deconstructed religion, which we're having to do all over again and create relationship. This is 21st century, we're doing exactly the same thing because we've had hundreds of years of religion. He deconstructed politics and created real power, real power. He deconstructed their picture of the triumphalist Messiah and constructed a suffering Lord. So he was, deconstruct he was dismantling idols and leading them into relationship with God. And the reason I say this is that to influence, to bring influence. And influence equals leadership. Leadership equals influence if you're, you're okay with that definition. Your voice doesn't need to be louder than everybody else's. To break through your sound barrier, you don't need to be louder. You need to be purer. You need to be simpler. You need to be clear. And it needs to be something bigger than you and more worthy. It's not pandering to human concerns and end up saying nothing. It's breaking past the sound barrier and leading people into a, into a higher purpose. Now, I look at Mother Teresa. If you remember Mother Teresa, for most of my young life, she was doing her work there in Calcutta. Changed the world. A single woman who had no interest for the world, just serving quietly as she could, one person at a time, and respecting the dignity of a human soul. She found her voice. She blasted through a sound barrier and just did what life required. Or Mary with the alabaster jar. I love that scene where she comes in and she just cracks that thing. I don't care what people think. I'm disappointing everyone right now. This has cost me everything. Who cares about the jar? This perfume spreads the room and Jesus says, that voice is going to be heard for as long as these stories are told. Simple, pure voice. And your voice, your influence, serves a greater uh, cause or preference than your own ambition so if your ambition your preference what you like your human concerns if that is altering your voice uh, it's not really your voice see if you do that living to please anyone living to impress anyone caps your profoundness and the magnitude of your life 
Jesus had to lay aside his life to fulfill what made him live. And if we're going to find our voice too, we're probably going to have to lay aside our life to really live. And this is really the point he was getting to. It's got to be bigger than you. It's got to be bigger than your own brand and your own uh, opinion and image. It's got to be grander than I want to do this or I want to do that. That's what you like. That's human concern. That's your preference. That's nice to have that, but that's secondary uh, to the greater cause. Jesus goes on, Mark 8.35, anyone who wants to save their life must lose it. It's this crazy paradox. There's so many layers to that. But one of them is that our true joy, the deepest joy you'll ever know, is most purely found on the other side of your own self-preference. And the only way you find that out is to actually do it. There's real joy in getting past. I have a moment, I call it in my own life, a Lord, I'll just do anything moment. Ever had one of those? Just look, Lord, I'm giving up. I'm just, whatever you want, I'll just do that. I remember in my early 20s, um, uh, only been a Christian a few years, and I just wanted to be a pastor. God knows why, you know, <laughs> when you get in the seat, you know. But um, I guess we see these ladders. It's, it's empire-building mentality. You're looking for a ladder. And if, and if you're a Christian, the ladder becomes, oh, it's got to be worthy, you know. Uh, so I tried to break through, and it had sort of my calling written all over it. And um, it would have been go big or go home. It would have been brash. It would have been loud, all that sort of stuff. But that's how empires work, not the kingdom. So God never opened that door, thankfully, for the world. But, but one, once sort of humbled, you know, there was a, a 14, 15-year period where he sort of broke that down. I just fell in love with a group of young adults. There was four or five, six of them. Uh, a couple of them are here today, to be honest. And I just... My heart just broke, and I just looked for a way. I just wanted to serve those guys. I didn't want to be in any denomination. I didn't want to be known as a pastor. I just wanted to do that, you know. And, and uh, it, funnily enough, the pastor of the church comes up to me three days later and says, would you like to come on staff and lead a small group ministry? And I went, well, sure. What's a small group ministry? You know, it was just, you get to that stage, you would have just take out the garbage for, for God. And, uh, and that ended up becoming how I ended up in ministry. But what I found through that whole process was that the best days of ministry that I've ever had in all those years since uh, is, that, is that the joy of being with one person, the joy of seeing someone else come to life, the joy of not, not having a name that's known, but it's the joy of, of seeing someone go beyond you and, and, and investing in lives and doing one person at a time. And the, the ability to go low in life, just to st- keep your head below the public scene and walk slow. So you, you may have to lay aside your life to find what makes you really live. See, being up on a microphone doesn't make me really live. It's when I'm praying with you or, or seeing God work in your life and see the miracle. That's really living for me. The, the, the ends gets to the means in the end. But you have a, you have a unique voice, but I, I wonder if it's ever been sung yet. It took that length of time for, for myself, to, to, for God to break that down before I started to sing with the voice that he actually gave me. And it was so different to my own. Maybe you've been trying to sing everyone else's tune in life, but they're still not listening. You try to be what friends want you to be, family wants you to be, church, work, Instagram. But you're still not being valued, you're still not being heard, and you're still not being understood. Maybe it's just time to start singing a different song. Because the song that really matters is that pure voice, worship of Jesus, forgiveness of the sinner, the value of one person, the power of grace. Sing that song in life. Because the deepest part of your voice comes from the deepest values that lie in your heart. 
What, what, what do you bleed? That's where you're going to have endless energy. And if you add endless energy, enthusiasm for a worthy cause, then you've got influence. Then you can change the world. Anything else is just noise, just more noise. So primarily, it's not about what we're uniquely styled for, for God or for ministry. We often start with what's secondary. We come in and we go, I want to do this and do that because that's what I'm good at. That's what I want to do. Well, that's great. And you'll probably end up in your sweet spot one day. That'll add to your voice. It's not about what we uniquely, um, it's not about your uniquely styled work for God. It's about the work you do uniquely for God. Did that come across? It's not what you do uniquely in your way. It's, it's what you uniquely do for him. That's where we begin this whole journey of finding our voice. So Jesus laid it right out, 34 to 36. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? There's an irony and a, and a paradox in all of this, obviously, and Jesus is teaching us, put aside the life that you would normally like, that, that shallow human concern thing, for that which makes you really live. And if you live to serve a higher purpose, then your voice really starts to sing. It's your best song. And that's how we see leadership around here. It's, uh, firstly, it's, it's, it's not about preference. It's about the higher cause. And what I was really inspired by with the survey that we just did of the church, and, and it was actually fantastic, to be honest, but what really impressed me was the fact that so many people in our fellowship, and the fellowship changes every week, it grows you know, every week, but, but for those of us who have already said, this is my tribe, um, more want to get into contribution, more want to help, more want to get into ministry than we're able to create opportunities right now, to be honest. Because there's such a lag in setting everything up, and it's almost like we, got, we look like we should be doing all this I want to get involved in that. Well, we're not doing it yet, but can you be a part of that? You know? And so, but so we've got more horsepower available than we have engines to run in that sort of sense. So we'll get there. Hang in there with us. We'll get there. And we're getting there fairly, fairly fast, but it, there's a lag to this stuff. But I just love the heart of it that you've already said, I'm seeing what's really important. The kids matter. The youth matter. A stronger discipleship matters. Getting this thing right. Missional work really, really matters. And, and you just want to be a part of that. And I just pray that that's the heart that keeps coming out. And secondly, it'll be about finding your sweet spot um, in that and that your unique fruit and flavour will come out. We normally will gravitate to that. Whatever we do for God, we find a way to do it our way anyway. Uh, and so it will naturally happen. But we're to put aside life for that which makes us live. You know, your finest ministry, if you, have, if you want to get involved and do stuff that matters around here, it happens right here, right now. It happens when we walk out of the service. And I, just, I love it because I see it happening so often. It's, you know, in the next hour, it's, it's saying, I'm going to uniquely give myself to God's purposes and finding someone who sits there alone or finding someone that you don't know and just embracing them and just saying hi and just listening to their story, inviting them out for lunch, that is world-changing, that is life-changing. And I just love it when I see and hear stories about how that's going on in here. You put aside life for that which makes you live. I might just get the band up now because I'm, I'm running short of time and Carol's going to be knocking at the door in a minute with the kids. But come on up, guys. And I just want to pray into that together for a, a little while. I just wonder if you've, you've ever actually had the chance to find your voice or whether you've just been singing the song everybody wants you to sing. You can't be defined by everyone else's voices, all those sounds out there. 
See, we're called, we're, we're, before anything else, we're sons and we're daughters. We're, we're his child. We're, when we said yes to Jesus, we, we're essentially saying no to anything else that gets in the way of fulfilling that life. We do what that identity requires. And in doing that, somehow, we come to life. I'm not sure how exactly it happens, but I just know, I know if we give our life up for a cause that really matters, one person at a time, one heart at a time, this gospel that says to be unashamed, to be bold and brash and get offensive now and again, it's okay. That when we do that, somehow we've we've busted through that sound barrier and we've just found why we're really living. So let's just pray now. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you into this space in a whole new way. Father, so many of us have felt that the best we can do is just keep turning up in life and being good. Living the life that everyone else lives, but just doing it nicely. But Lord, all we're doing is singing the world's song, just with a better tune. But Father, there's a the whole other beat of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole other song, there's a whole other music that needs to be heard in the world right now as we start to form up what 21st and 22nd century morality looks like, what absolutes look like, what the power of the gospel looks like. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us all shut out the voices and there's a real sense that some people here, you've, your voice has been shut down and you've, you've just been taught through being hurt and people who've claimed that you've offended them. Some of you have gone through abuse where people have shut you down and you've literally given up that your voice will ever be heard. And the Lord just wants to let your voice free again because he made you with a set of vocal cords. He made you with a heart that's to be heard and a song to be sung. And it's time to break through those sound barriers. You are not defined by the voices of this world. You are defined by who God says you are. He died for you because you mattered that much to him. He died for you that you would be a son and a daughter, an heir with Christ to get on with it, to get out there and advance the kingdom through the voice that he's given you to sing. But it's only going to be heard if it's purer, simpler, matters about what Jesus mattered for. And so, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, you would just come and you would start to hum, Lord, through the vocal cords, of each one of us, that they would find their song, that they would sing, that they would break through the sound barriers and become the voice you've uniquely made for them to have. But what I want to do after the service is pray for those who really feel like they've had a hand laid over them, almost like a hand squeezing your vocal cords that said you are not allowed to be heard. Normally it's through key people in your life and I want to break that off. I want to have the prayer team break that off so that you're free to sing again. So Father, I pray that whoever that will be, Lord, just just activate their heart right now that they would know I need to get prayer. I need the prayers of my brothers and sisters around me to break this off. And if that's you, please come over to the the left of stage that you're looking at uh, after the service and get prayer by our team. They're experienced at this. So Lord, I just really pray. We are who you say we are. You are who you said you were. We have faith in that and that alone. Help us come and speak from that voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, everyone. Uh, Let's worship together.